Tuesday, March the 8th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, another evacuation proposal and Russia threatens to turn off the gas. First, the world in brief. Russian state media once again claimed that the country would allow civilians to evacuate from Ukraine via humanitarian corridors on Tuesday. Russia's ambassador to the UN said people would have a choice of where they travel to. A proposal that only allowed evacuations to Russia or Belarus on Monday was called, quote, completely immoral by the Ukrainian government and condemned by Western leaders. Meanwhile, the Russian armed forces have intensified their shelling campaigns against several Ukrainian cities, including Kyiv, Kharkiv, Mariupol and Sumy, trapping inhabitants. Russia warned that it would stop its natural gas supply to Europe in response to the West's sanctions. Earlier, America said it was in, quote, very active discussion with European allies over a ban on imports of Russian oil. But Germany rejected the idea of an embargo. According to Russia, the ban would propel the price of oil to $300 a barrel. On Monday, Brent crude, the international oil benchmark, touched $139, the highest price since 2008, before settling at about $120. Stock markets around the world tumbled at the prospect of surging energy prices. Fitch, a ratings agency, suspended operations in Russia, joining a growing list of Western businesses leaving the country. JP Morgan, an American bank, excluded Russia from all its fixed income indices, which are used widely as benchmarks. Meanwhile, Morgan Stanley, another American bank, said Russia was set for a, quote, Venezuela-style default as early as April 15, when the grace period on coupon payments from Russian dollar bonds expires. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said he was, quote, not hiding in a late-night video showing himself in his office in Kyiv, the capital. Mr. Zelensky promised that the country would rebuild everything destroyed by Russian forces. Earlier on Monday, Mr. Zelensky warned that the war could spread beyond Ukraine. He once again stressed the need to secure the country's airspace. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, released a video for International Women's Day in which he tried to reassure Russian women about the safety of their sons, husbands and boyfriends by promising that conscripts and reservists would not be sent to fight in Ukraine. Ukraine's Ministry of Defence claimed that Major General Vitaly Gerasimov was killed in fighting around Kharkiv. If true, it is the second high-profile general the Russian army has lost in a week. The mayor of Lviv appealed for help with the hundreds of thousands of refugees sheltering in or passing through the city on their journeys west. The UN said 1.7 million people have fled Ukraine in less than two weeks. More than 1 million have gone to Poland. An estimated 53,000 people have gone to Russia and just 400 to Belarus. Other news The Biden administration proposed tightening limits on pollution from buses and commercial lorries. The draft rule would require cuts in nitrogen oxide emissions starting in model year 2027 and would reduce such emissions by up to 60% by 2045. 
Record rainfall prompted flood warnings in Sydney, Australia's biggest city. About 80,000 people have been asked to evacuate. Floods in the region have killed 20 people since February 27th. And correction. A version of Espresso that ran yesterday said that Libya produces 1.2 billion barrels of oil each day. It should have been 1.2 million barrels. Sorry. And now here's today's agenda. Oil markets rattled by war. When America's Secretary of State said his country was discussing, quote, the prospect of banning the import of Russian oil with European and other allies, prices spiked. On March 6th, after Anthony Blinken spoke, the price of Brent crude rose to almost $140 a barrel. Prices have fluctuated since, but remain elevated. Oil supply was constrained even before Russia invaded Ukraine. Demand slumped during the pandemic, before rebounding sharply in 2021. But underinvestment and disruptions caused by COVID-19 are still crimping global output. Russia is the world's second biggest petroleum exporter. It typically exports 4.5 million barrels of crude and 2.5 million of oil products each day. An oil embargo is the most powerful economic weapon America has yet to wield and many companies are already avoiding Russia's oil. But even graduated sanctions, like those imposed on Iran, could cause a market panic. A total ban would hit the global economy hard. Planning for the next pandemic How would the world respond to the next, quote, disease X, a pathogen currently unknown to science? On Tuesday, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, a charity, and the British government will host a summit in London to figure this out. In light of the social and economic devastation caused by SARS-CoV-2, the Global Pandemic Preparedness Summit wants the world to be able to respond more rapidly. Governments, international agencies, scientists, NGOs, and pharmaceutical firms want to discuss a, quote, 100-day plan to develop safe and effective vaccines, medicines and diagnostics quickly enough to prevent future pandemics from occurring. CEPI needs $3.5 billion to implement these ideas. The meeting's organisers hope to draw attention to the prospect of a new deadly disease. Even as the COVID-19 pandemic recedes and the world focuses on Ukraine, that is a critical task. The Economist's Glass Ceiling Index Four Nordic countries, Sweden, Iceland, Finland and Norway, once again top our glass ceiling index as the best places for working women. The index measures the role and influence of women in the workplace across the OECD club of mostly rich countries. Japan and South Korea, where women must often still choose between a family or a career, fill the bottom two places. America sits in 20th out of 29 countries. A country's performance on the index is measured along 10 metrics, including the gender pay gap, parental leave, the cost of childcare, educational attainment, and representation in senior management and political jobs. We give more weight to the indicators which affect all women, such as labour force participation, 
and less to those which affect only some, such as maternity pay. Paternity pay is also included. Studies show that where fathers take parental leave, mothers tend to return to the labour market, female employment is higher, and the earnings gap between men and women is smaller. By invitation, Malala Yousafzai on International Women's Day. Young women want equal access to education. We want leaders to invest in our future. We also want our perspectives to inform the plans and policies that affect us. And in honour of International Women's Day, I'm excited to collaborate with The Economist to expand my work to amplify young women's voices as by invitation's first guest editor. I have invited four young women to each contribute a guest essay to By Invitation on issues that are deeply connected to girls' education, conflict, climate, digital inclusion and discrimination. Freshta Karim, an Afghan women's rights activist, writes about her experience fleeing her home and about the future for Afghanistan's women and girls. Kiara Njurgen, an inventor from South Africa, considers how the pandemic has widened gender gaps in science and the value of getting more girls involved in technical subjects. T.K. Sacco, an anti-colorism advocate from Sierra Leone, reflects on the ways in which racism and gender discrimination affect girls' learning and how teachers can help. Vanessa Nakate, a climate activist from Uganda, calls for an inclusive approach to discussing, teaching and legislating on global environment issues. The names on France's presidential ballot The official list of candidates running for the French presidency will be published on Tuesday. The country will vote in a two-round presidential election on April 10th and 24th. Laurent Fabius, president of the Constitutional Council, yesterday validated 12 candidates, all of whom received the required 500 signatures from elected officials. Among them is the sitting president, Emmanuel Macron, who confirmed last week that he is running for re-election. There are five candidates to his right. They include the centre-right Valérie Pécresse, as well as the national populist Marine Le Pen and the hard-right Eric Zemmour. Six sit to his left, including the socialists Anne Hidalgo, the Greens Yannick Jadot and the hard-left Jean-Luc Mélenchon. The Economist's forecasting model now gives Mr Macron a 99% chance of reaching the second round. The campaign is turning into a race to meet him in a final runoff, which our model suggests he remains the strong favourite to win. A film envisions Ukraine after war with Russia. With breathtaking cinematography, Atlantis imagines a Ukraine that has emerged victorious from a war with Russia in 2025. After its premiere at the Venice Film Festival in 2019, the Ukrainian film was praised. Variety called it, quote, poetically pure. But despite a string of awards, Valentin Vasyanovich's picture failed to take off. With a real war now raging, that is changing. Atlantis is being added to more streaming services, including iTunes, Mubi and Amazon Prime. Cinema releases are in the works, including one in Italy next month. Mr. Vasyanovich's subsequent film, Reflection, looks at secret prisons in Russian-controlled eastern Ukraine 
a Ukrainian journalist who was tortured in one such prison, was a consultant for that film. In Atlantis, Mr. Vasinovich depicts his homeland amid the aftershocks of war. Now, since he is somewhere near Kyiv, scenes of a current one are playing out in front of him. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. What was the popular name of the Chinese rebellion against Western occupation between 1899 and 1901? Yesterday's question. Which opera, written by Richard Thomas and Stuart Lee, centres on an American talk show host? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Neil Postman, who was born on this day in 1931. In the development of intelligence, nothing can be more basic than learning how to ask productive questions. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 